the Sonic Light Podcast. This is Past Master Moyer calling in with my review critique of episode 103 entitled Heather Calloway. Uh, boy, this, this episode, I don't even know where to start because Maris and uh, Ruggiero, you were both on a roll in this episode. Let's see, Larry, you better stop picking on the Lancaster Masonic Center. Otherwise, you might find yourself being waterboarded sitting underneath a leaking sprinkler head. Pete, very inappropriate to harass Jack about kayaking. I believe he was in Massachusetts for his son's wedding. We know what happened up there before, or maybe not in Massachusetts, but he's not very good at kayaking, so just you might want to just back off a little bit. Maris, after you introduced Heather Calloway, you asked her one question, you fell asleep. What a dunderhead. And Pete, you better get that book and scarf in the mail for Heather. Drop the ball again. I, I don't know. You guys really, really... You two had a bad episode. Brother Cronkite enjoyed your Qantas airline story. And I'll have to finish out with one more Larry Maris moment. Larry, when you're closing out the show, stop talking with food in your mouth. You have this raspy voice to begin with, which is very difficult to understand. And now you shove your mouth full of food. Just knock it off. And please, I don't want to hear about the blinds. I don't, I don't want to hear about anything going on at your house. You're getting as bad as the Masonic Center. I'll be in touch. Bye. From the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. And hello, everybody. Welcome to back to Masonic Light Podcast, episode one hundred and four. One hundred and four. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. And uh, tonight's going to be a, a great show. We have um, we have author Jamie Paul Lamb on with us, um, and he's agreed not just to do the interview, but he's going to suffer through our whole opening, painful opening. So, so, Jamie, I know you said you listened before, but what we kind of do is we quick go around and ask if anybody's been up to anything in the past couple weeks Masonically. So um, we'll start with Jack because I see his name first. Oh, how exciting. Yes, we had a stated meeting at Ephrata Lodge. Da, 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 da. So we had about 20 people there and we were socially distanced and temperature checked and signed uh, impossible waivers and all that kind of good stuff and uh, it was very uh, it was very good to get back in lodge with the guys uh, we've got some degrees on the schedule I'll talk about that when we close but uh, yeah it was good to be back and then the other night we had um, well yesterday we had tall cedars um, I'll let you talk about tall cedars but also fun to get back in that and uh, just, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. The lights are slowly coming on. Uh, Jamie, have you been up to anything Masonically in the past couple of weeks, or are you laying low? You know, all we really had was uh, Zoom meetings. So we had our Zoom stated, and we had our Zoom uh, members meeting, which is like the officers meeting. And... Uh, We've been doing like, well, it's kind of cool because we've been doing um, a debate. You know, we organize a debate to make the Zoom experience interesting. But I, anyway, I think so. Next month, it looks like we're getting back to normal. Uh, what what state are you based out of for the? Ascension Lodge number 89, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. But my mother lodge is uh, Old Well St. John's, Norwalk, Connecticut. 
So you've lost your Connecticut accent. I don't know. Do, does Connecticut even have one? No. <laughs> not nobody I know really really had one. I, but, I guess uh, only if you're long in Long Island Sound that you're well, close enough. Oh yeah, we were on. Well, I'm from Bridgeport, which is right on this. I could see Port Jeff from my uh, from you know from Bridgeport, but uh, so that's in the little. That's in Fairfield County, the little part. It's like a suburb of New York City, so it's not like the deep New Englandy sort of Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. Larry Maris, have you done anything at all? Yes, I have. Hosting Gridiron uh, for the past two Thursdays, which is meeting. We only have maybe about 10 people showing up, or normally we've had, what, 18 to 20. Uh, also, two tall seaters last night with uh, with uh, the guys from uh, our, our, our uh, you know what I mean, our forest. And it was great to be back. It really, really was. So uh, that, that's uh, the extent of my participation in Freemasonry. Okay. Uh, Josh, what have you been up to? Uh, not really too much. Just, uh, you know, handling things behind the scenes, um, you know, signing checks, running them back and forth to different people and uh, preparing for our upcoming meeting. So hopefully this this month we'll actually have our meeting. Last month we had to cancel because uh, of shenanigans at the Masonic Center. And yeah, it was just a big... Yeah, <laughs> cluster. I, I think cluster I, is the word. Yeah, yeah, cluster. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Tim, you've been up to a lot. What uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, so Eureka West Shore Lodge number three hundred and two in Mechanicsburg held our stated meeting on the eighth. Um, we uh, went through the same processes that Jack talked about in terms of all the waiver signing and hand sanitizing and social distancing and so on. Um, but we had a good, uh, good program. Um, one of our, uh, members, uh, is into winemaking. And, um, so we did a program on winemaking, which was a lot of fun. And, um, so, um, that Friday, uh, the 11th, uh, the Harrisburg Lodge of Perfection and the other Scottish Rite bodies met. Um, and, um, I was uh, installed as captain of the guard in the Lodge of Perfection. So beginning that journey. Uh, yeah. Um, on the 13th, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but uh, the Valley of Harrisburg hosted a uh, cigar smoker and pig roast uh, that several of us were at. We conducted a number of interviews there, and uh, we'll probably turn that into a show at some point. And um, I guess this is as good as time as any is to say you'll want to stay tuned to the end of today's show. We have a very special announcement coming. Unlike all the other shows that you really don't need to stay to the end. Yeah, right. Exactly. This one. <laughs> this one. You definitely want to stay. You definitely want to stay to the end of this one. Um, so uh, but we had a great time um, at that. It was an outdoor event. Um uh, was talking to some of the brothers, and I think they're planning to do two or three of those again next year. Um, it was a great success. Um, this past Saturday, uh, Lucius Akeritas uh, AMD Council met, and um, we had our ladies' night. We had about we had twenty five people exactly show up. Um, that was a great time. And then last night, I was at Reading Lodge number five hundred and forty nine, working with their secretary and treasurer on. Uh, helping to get some of their records in order and making sure that they're ready for the start of another dues season. And um, last night at, uh, or actually this morning at 6 a.m., we launched the dues processing uh, for my lodge, Eureka West Shore 302. And at last check, we already had 50 brethren had paid their dues. Wow. Online. That's crazy. I didn't know 50 people crazy had the internet. That's right. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, I was with you guys at the uh, cigar thing, and, um, you know, it, it pains me to say it because I, I've made a habit out of making fun of the Valley of Harrisburg for about the past two years now. <laughs> um, 
that was a very, very nice event. And uh, I, I, uh, I applaud them and for everything they did. And it turned out really well. Um, last night we had tall cedars. Uh, I am the scribe, which means I'm the guy that has to collect money and watch the checkbooks. Uh, so just trying to get some of these guys to pay attention to the, the old guys, because they've been around for when we had, you know, 400 members and lots and lots of money. And, you know, now we have about 180 members and no money, but they think we can still spend money like a drunken sailor. You know, no offense, Larry. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's it. Oh, and a nice topic. The topic was Dr. Mike Moran talked last night on the benefits of aging. And I don't believe any of it. I still wish I could go back and be 28 again. So <laughs> <laughs> I got a break on my car insurance at 28. And that was the last benefit of aging I've had. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back with author Jamie Paul Lamb. Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. back. Uh, before we begin our interview, we'd just like to give a shout out to our Patreons who help keep this crazy show going through 104 episodes. Uh, we really appreciate all of them. Uh, you too can become a Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Oh, oh and Tim, break, breaking news. I, I can't check it on my computer right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. We I'm got gonna... a new sponsor today who is pledging four, four pounds a month. How, what does that translate? Or 4.5. I don't know. It's like that a million what, That depends. Pounds of what? I know yeah, when I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a uh, somebody from the UK is donating. So uh, we thank you. That's, it's around $14, $15 a month. That's wow. awesome. That's awesome. And I guess we should also say that we blew the top off of our uh, $13 level. When we started this nonsense, we uh, we had dreams of maybe getting 10 or 15 of you guys to do this. And I forget what the limit was, but we hit it. What was the limit, Pete? It was 13. Yeah. But in our defense... All five of our hosts are in that count, so yeah, but we still, can start taking ourselves off. That means there's seven or eight other suckers that have uh, been doing this for a while too. So yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we really appreciate it, and you can become a Patreon by going to Patreon.com/slash Masonic Light Podcast. Um, we greatly appreciate all of you for helping keep us on the air, and. Um, I was going to say keep keeping the lights on, but we haven't had the we lights on since March. So, yeah, but, but thanks anyway. Yeah, uh, let's move on. This isn't the Bill O'Reilly show where we're trying to sell everything. That's right. All right, so Larry, uh, introduce our guest. Yeah, our uh, our guest today is uh, Brother Jamie Paul Lamb, and as he said earlier, he is a member of Ascension Lodge eighty nine out of Phoenix, Arizona. And he has a lot of memberships and a lot of other bodies, but I'm going to let him talk about that. Ah, yeah, we're going to talk about some of the books and some of the essays that he's written. So, Jamie, tell us a little bit about your Masonic biography. Well, 
th- first, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Larry. And that's for Jamie. Out. Thanks very much for Pete, joining us, Josh, Jamie. Tim, uh, Walter. Uh, I'm a fan of the show, so thanks for asking me. And and uh, I be- well, I was raised ten years ago back in Connecticut at, like I told you, Old Well St. John's Number Six in Norwalk. And uh, some travels since then. We were in L.A. for a while. We came to Phoenix about five years ago and, you know, affiliated with some lodges and, and appendant bodies and things. Before I left Connecticut, I had, I had joined uh, the Valley of Bridgeport, Scottish Rite. And then, uh, and then when we went out to L.A., I did Valley of Pasadena. And then when we came to Phoenix, I did Phoenix York Rite bodies uh, all the way up to uh, Knights Templar. And um, let's see, what other appendant bodies did I? Oh, uh, Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia, or not in Anglia, but in Civitatis Federatus, you would say. The the U.S. um, Masonic Rosicrucians. And. I did that, and then and then just some other side, like sort of esoteric bodies that are loosely sort of related to masonry, but not under the the uh, not under any particular jurisdiction. And uh, yeah, it's just been a great you know a great ride. I met a bazillion great brothers and and friends and people and. Uh, you know, it's it's changed, literally changed my life. I mean, and, you know, through going through the degrees and everything and the the sort of study that that uh, precipitates, you know, um, it's really been instrumental in, in helping me continue to develop uh, as a person, as a man. Yeah. Jamie, at, at what point did you, when you were uh, on this rabbit hole into Freemasonry, did you like go all in and decide that you were really going to research and, and and become an author on the topic? That was, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I uh, I write. S- to sort of understand things, you know, just like I, I do, I do a lot of presentations, um, as my wife will tell you, you know, like I'll, I'll just sit her down someplace and, and tell her about, you know, what I've learned this week in terms of like astrology or something like that. And she becomes sort of my muse. And then I feel like, you know, when I'm able to communicate something to somebody is when I feel like I've absorbed the material, you know, so it does a lot for me to write stuff down and to communicate, you know, through conversation or through presentations and things like that. So it's been happening since day one, um, going through the degrees, the Blue Blue Lodge degrees, and um, just trying to make sense of them, you know, because obviously we have a lot of things in Masonic degrees that are sort of arcane, kind of weird, you know, uh, certainly not you know, your average everyday thing that people do, right? It's, it's an unusual system. Yes. We're acclimated to it. We're, we're as Masons, we've experienced hundreds of degrees and things like that, but you got to imagine, uh, to, you know, the quote unquote profane or to the outside world when they see, um, you know, if they were to see the things that we do, then it would, it would, they would consider that strange probably. Right. So, um, going through those degrees, I didn't read ahead when I went into blue lodge. I, I just kind of, I knew it was the right move from some reading that I had done, you know, and I had committed to doing it. And, um, I was at first worried that some of those deep, some of that deeper arcana had, had disappeared and maybe masonry had turned into some sort of like diners club or like a rotary or elks or something like that. But, uh, I was, I was, quickly um sort of enheartened i guess if that's a word uh going through the degrees to find that uh yes there was still a connection to the hidden mysteries and, you know and that's kind of where the writing came in you know trying the, to make sense do the do the members of your lodge well, let's talk see a little bit meeting? about 
Is it generally understood that there is something more in, in where you books. are? In your most recent uh, book. All right, guys. Wait a minute. Hey, guys, hang on a second here. Uh, Jack. Hello again, Masonic Light Podcast listeners. This is Josh. In what has become an increasingly regular occurrence on our show, we've had some technical difficulties. Uh, normally, the blame would be placed on the technology guy or the guy recording the show, producer, whatever you want to call me. But in this case, since we've got Larry Maris on the show, we'll just blame him. Now, all of Pete's audio from this point on in the show has traveled to parts unknown, so I'll be filling in with what I think he might have said. So, Jack, what were you about to ask our guest? Well, I was just um, going to ask Jamie if if the if the members uh, like you, you seem as if you were a seeker already uh, and looking at Freemasonry as a as a as another channel to to continue your seeking but do the people out there do the people around you in your lodge in your district you know however it breaks down for you do they see the deeper meaning some of them do and some of them don't and i think that's that's an important distinction to bring up right away is that uh you know you don't have to like we all know that you can approach masonry and see the moral and ethical uh teachings in the blue lodge right and and you could use that to become a, be a better man that's what we say making good men better so we bring in good men who are vetted right and then they they learn the moral and ethical lessons that are inculcated in our work in the blue lodge which is freemasonry right everything else i think beyond that is just further light you know so so if somebody like like my blue lodge when i was my Mother Lodge in Connecticut. These were really just, you know, old school, um, really just great Blue Lodge, solid Blue Lodge Freemasons, right? And they weren't necessarily into, you know, Hermetic Kabbalah or astrology or tarot or anything like that or alchemy. They weren't really into that stuff at all. That doesn't mean, you know, they're they're not developed as Masons or anything. So, and I didn't. I didn't take that perspective from day one. I was like, yeah, these are, these are good men becoming better. They're very knowledgeable in, in their arenas of interest and things like that. And they're doing Freemasonry, good and proper Freemasonry square work, as we say. Right. And, um, and, uh, this is, um, that's what I wanted, you know, all the esoteric stuff, the occulty stuff that I'm into, I'm not in my books and stuff. I'm not trying to say that that stuff's baked in or, it, or it exists in Freemasonry, like in situ, you know, like it's, it's inherent in the system because I don't believe it is, but I do believe that it's a valuable perspective from which to survey our work. And I think, you know, as evidenced by the myriad occultists over the past few centuries that have been applying that occult perspective to the craft, you know, there's something there, you know, and uh, I think that's kind of the distinction is, uh, is no, you don't have to look uh, at these. I don't believe you have to look at the esoteric and occult stuff to get, what you're going to get out of Freemasonry to become a better man. But I do believe that for a certain type of person, and I'm like that type of person, um, it helps to unravel it from the perspective of like, you know, astrology, mythology, Kabbalah, uh, tarot symbolism, you know, it's just a uniquely situated perspective, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I was what I was mentioning too was about the fact that your new book, and I'll repeat the title again: "Approaching the Middle Chamber: of The Seven Liberal Arts and Freemasonry in Western Esoteric Tradition." I get tired reading the title. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I found it very interesting, and I saw a couple things in some of the essays you wrote too, particularly about how you focused on the Fellowcraft degree. And the initiatic experience uh, that Nepi wrote and, and, and even Joseph Campbell wrote about that experience as well. But you focused on the second degree and the stairway lecture. 
And I thought, you know, unfortunately, there are some Grand Lodges that don't teach the lecture on the liberal arts and go into that lecture, Pennsylvania being one of them. We highlight it by talking about the several liberal arts, but we don't go step by step up to the chamber. And I'm thinking to myself, we're missing some things here. We're missing, we're missing something that they tell us to go back and try to think about and, and reason. And I'm thinking, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Explain that to me. So, yeah, when I, when I did my Blue Lodge degrees in Connecticut, uh, we were a small lodge. So I had to immediately jump into senior deacon like shortly after being raised and senior deacon in Connecticut is classically the position where, or that's the office where you would do what's what we called the middle chamber lecture. Colloquially, it's called different things in different jurisdictions, the winding staircase, the middle chamber, et cetera, the fellow craft lecture, et cetera. But it usually consists of, you know, from the porch to the middle chamber up the flight of winding stairs. So, um, as a senior deacon, I was uh, expected to learn that. So I spent months memorizing it, and I did some study around it, and I delivered it on degrees during my year as senior deacon. And, uh, and of course, I was familiar with it from having it delivered that one time when I did uh, my fellow craft degree, right? During my fellow craft degree, a brother of the lodge did a great job giving me the middle chamber lecture. Now, here's what happened was I was, uh, I don't want to say disappointed, but I was expecting, like you just said, Larry, to dive a little deeper into the seven liberal arts because the center of our program there, the center of our suite of degrees uh, is the transform transformational part. Because you look at, uh, I'll expand on that a little bit. Uh, Von Gennep proposed that there were three, anthropologically, that, that there were three elements of initiation. They were liminal rites. So the first one is separation. The second one is transformation. And the third one is integration. Now, these three um, elements are present in all manner of initiatory rites. They're, uh, they're just an anthropological constant in that sort of system. So the middle of them being transformation satisfies our fellow craft degree. So during our fellow craft degree, after we've been separated from society by our, our entered apprentice obligation, you know, just we're bound to secrecy and everything that we're we're, we've taken an oath to, then we undergo transformation during the fellow craft degree, and then we're reintegrated at the culmination of the master mason degree back into society to to do good work among men and to you know everything we're charged to to do. But but the fellow craft degree, we I felt we were our literature was anemic in that area. I felt like there wasn't enough um, really about the seven liberal arts. I felt like in the Blue Lodge, in the several Blue Lodges that I've belonged to, we've, we never really capitalized on that wealth of uh, information there. So I was, I, consequently, I felt like I was never passed. You know, I felt like I never truly passed to the degree of, uh, you know, past fellow craft into Master Mason uh, because I didn't do that work, you know. And uh, so I felt like it would be, it was, it would behoove me personally. At first, I felt I should just do it for myself. There was no intention of writing a book about it. I was like, okay, I'm going to take on this curriculum as stated in the Fellowcraft lecture for myself, for my own benefit, become a better man. So over the course of some years, you know, I start chipping away at it. And, and like I said, I like to write things down and talk about things while I learn them. It helps me to absorb the material. And consequently, I ended up writing a manuscript worth of stuff. And I was like, well, I might, might as well make book number two about uh, my journey through the, you know, the staircase lecture to the middle chamber. That's awesome, really. I thought I think it's very well put together and well done, and I got I got a lot out of it. I really did. Oh, I'm glad. But uh, also too, in your second book, I mean, well, actually, your first book was Myth, Magic, and Masonry: The Occult Perspectives of Freemasonry. When that was printed, how did you think Freemasons would look at that? That title alone is scary. 
well, yeah, I knew that that would be, uh, that that would be challenging. And that was, um, I mean, it was, I thought it was, uh, it's, it's not for every, uh, I don't know. It's like, like I was saying before, a couple of questions ago, you could be, you could be a good blue lodge Freemason and never get, never get past the moral and ethical interpretations of our work. If that's, if that's what you decide to focus on, you know, you're, you're still, um, a good man becoming a better man. So, uh, but if you do feel like, you know, looking beyond the veil at some of these more occult and esoteric uh, kind of elements like I was. And I know that there's a certain subset of Freemasons who are interested in that sort of thing. That's kind of who that book was aimed at. Yeah. I like the fact that you took our symbolize our symbolism and our allegory and looked at all of the, astrological lore, for lack of a better word, I'm reading that one, the symbolism, he looked at classical mythology, he looked at the Roman uh, um, cults, Mithraism and so forth, and you, you put, put it all together, and you were able to take a view of Freemasonry and its really deep meanings and where I think some of these things literally came from. And I, and I think that was kind of magic on your behalf, being able to do that. Well, you know, hopefully you noticed this on the cover of that book. Uh, if you look up Myth, Magic, and Masonry and see the cover, there's a minotaur on there with a zodiacal wheel behind him. And that was an allusion to um, the Analucus. So you know how the Masonic Analucus is 4,000 BCE? And you add 4,000 years to... So, right. so without getting into the you know, detailed astrophysics about it. There's a phenomenon called axial precession and the, the earth rotates or gyrates on its axis over a period of, uh, it completes a one gyration over a period of, I think it's 25,920 years. So that means every 21, that means every 2,160 years, it's occurring in a certain sign of the Zodiac. So we call that a precessional age. Uh, so if you wind the, the precessional clock back from today to the beginning of the Analucus, which is on all our cornerstones and in Masonic documents since the beginning, 4000 BCE. If you wind the precessional clock back to that time, you find that the vernal equinox, that's the spring equinox, March 20, 20th, 21st, whenever, that occurred in the sign of Taurus. So that makes that period of a little over 2000 years the Taurian age. Now, I know I'm get, getting a little deep into this stuff right now, but I, I just yeah i i kind of wanted you to i kind of wanted to get that across because that's the temporal perspective from which uh i approached that avenue of research so when i wound the clock back to the to the anno lucas the date that our stuff tells us to look back to when i wound it back to 4000 bce and you look at the position of the fixed stars you find that you're in the Torian processional age, and if and you find a certain body of symbolism that belongs to that age processionally, and that body of symbolism and that temporal marker, the vernal equinox in Taurus, is a particularly valuable vantage point from which to survey the symbolism, and the the allegory, and the the work of Freemasonry, not only Freemasonry, but also classical mythology, um, certain mystery cults like Mithraism, where he's slaying the bull, you know, in the Tauroctony. Um, I, it's a lot to get into and it's very difficult to put into a soundbite, but I had to write a book about it because uh, it's, that's the thread that winds through myth, magic, and masonry is this one temporal marker. And it's something that, uh, despite the fact that I think a lot of people have worked out on Masonic astrology over the years, there was, uh, 
Robert Hewitt Brown with his super groundbreaking uh, 19th century stellar stellar theology and Masonic astronomy. Astronomy that was great. Uh, I Edward Clark did a little bit of work on it. Even Pike kind of putzed around with uh, uh, astro mythology, I guess, from the Masonic perspective. But from from what I could tell, I had a I had a couple of uh, novel ideas in myth, magic, and masonry, like this uh, this Analucus temporal perspective that I don't think has ever been addressed. So I felt like I I had to get that down, you know. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market, and a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. Hey, we're back with uh, Jamie Paul Lamb. Author extraordinaire. I want to switch now from both of your books. And by the way, before we end, I want to make sure that you can tell people where to buy your books, okay? Okay. Uh, your essays are fantastic. I've looked at two of them, read them, but I have them. And I'm going to tell you, people who are listening to the show, if they want to read some really good writings, go to phoenixmasonry.org and just type in Jamie Paul Lamb. And there are essays there that are probably a whole page full of them. One of the ones that caught my attention was, do you profess a belief in a supreme being? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was, um, that was actually, I think I wrote that when, um, we were starting our, uh, we were chartering a lodge out here in Phoenix and we were getting a lot of uh, guys coming in, and we wanted a way to be able to talk to them about that supreme being clause in the uh, in uh, <clears throat> what's it or landmarks or uh, the five the five uh, questions that are propounded to the candidate. Um, do you do you believe in a supreme being? And I felt like it would um, it would be a good idea to really kind of elucidate on that in an era that is increasingly sort of secular, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't want to lose a good man uh, just because they're not Jewish, Catholic, Muslim, or Hindu or something, you know? Um, they could be some sort of in-between or they could have some sort of other idea but but still have a belief in a supreme being but not fit so neatly in a box. You know, like not fit into some Abrahamic Judeo-Christian box, you know, or some Eastern religion box. And there are a lot of people who kind of don't fall inside of that, the, the, that those neat little parameters. So I felt like it would be a good idea to kind of uh, talk about what that some things that that might mean from my perspective. Take it or leave it. I mean, if, it, you know, and and. I felt like I'd write that out. And basically what I came up with is, uh, you know, I started with breaking down the, the terminology. Do you profess a belief in a supreme being? It doesn't say God. It doesn't say Jesus. It doesn't say Mithras or Buddha. It says, you know, a supreme being. So in the paper, I isolated the definitions of both of those words, supreme and being. 
and I found that supreme is something I forget what it was now, but it was something like the exalted state of something, you know, like the elevated state, um, supreme, like the ultimate. And then um, being, of course, is not only a noun, but like an entity, but it is also a verb, being, ing, and it is also a state of self. It even says in the dictionary. So I kind of like presented that information and said, yes, you have to say that you believe, you have to profess and mean it that you have a belief in a supreme being. But nobody, no Freemason is going to decide that for you, nor is any Freemason going to um, uh, ask you to provide any further detail. I have never been asked to provide any further detail about my belief in a supreme being you know so i felt like that was a crucial kind of thing to address because a lot of people they they get you know they get a little loose with that and they're sometimes like yeah you got to believe in god no doesn't not in arizona at least not in our jurisdiction uh it says supreme being and i think in most jurisdictions it says supreme being uh as it should and i think if it says god um then you know, that's another thing that, you know, uh, people just have to come to terms with on their own. Do you want to speculate on why that might be in there? Uh, so it's so your, uh, so your obligation is binding. If you yeah. don't, if you don't, if you can't put, uh, if you can't put an oath on something, if you have no foundation for your obligation, you can't be a Freemason. Great answer. I mean, that's my understanding of it. No, I, that's yeah. I try to express that to the candidates when they come in, and that, that that there's so other than going to court and having to swear an oath at, in court that most of them have never understood what an oath was and what it means. And it's a sacred thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it should have something to do with their character too. I mean, like, uh, uh, I don't necessarily i mean without tipping my hand theologically i will say that i don't necessarily need yahweh to keep an oath for me or the punishment therefrom to keep me from breaking an oath i feel like you know uh i've i've got uh some character and i've got some integrity and um and i base that on a on my own personal theological foundation you know uh, I have an understanding of a supreme being that works very nicely for me, but that is uh, also flexible enough to accommodate new information. You know? <laughs> yeah. well, well said. So, Jamie, is music playing a role in your exploration of the deeper mysteries? No, it, it absolutely is. And in fact, it's something I've been working on recently. I spent a lot of time with music, not only throughout my life, but uh, as I was researching for Approaching the Middle Chamber, it's really changed my perception. Uh, music as sort of, um, you know, well, they say architecture as frozen music, or they call music number in time. Like you ever think of, here's, here's something from the book. I talk about uh, the quadrivium right? You have arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy in the quadrivium, right? Um, arithmetic is pure number. Uh, geometry is number in space, two or three-dimensional space. Um, music is number in time. And, and astronomy is number in space-time. It's astrophysics. So you see that they're contingent on their predecessor. They build on each other. That's why they're in that order. It has to go arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy because of the way that they're related. You in, know? The same, in the same way that grammar, rhetoric, and logic build. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I never so thought it, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they have to go in that order because they're, they're, there's some contingencies there. So in working out my ideas of music and gathering all this information and kind of putting it in one place classically and in the modern sense, like I get into modern composition as well, like John Cage and a bunch of Anthony Braxton and kind of weirder, more avant-garde sort of stuff that really blurs the boundaries of music, you know, uh, philosophically. But um, anyway, so for me, 
you asked about going forward, what that might look like. And it definitely looks like it's heading in the musical direction via astronomy or astrology rather for me, because, um, I've been doing a lot of astrological work with charts and I've been teaching myself astrology over the last year or two and getting pretty proficient in it. And, um, and I'm finding how the chart. So in, in astrology, you have these, these chart wheels, right? And, um, in them are, you could in a chart wheel, you have what's called aspects and these are geometrical relationships. You inscribe, these regular polygons inside of this circle. And those are the aspect relationships and they call, they make what's called chords. Now, if you're a musician, you know that a chord is also a musical term and it has to do with a certain intervallic relationship. So there's all this sort of Pythagorean geometrical, really cool uh, stuff going on between astrology and music. So I went and I threw the, the money that I made, doing astrological charts on the side. Um, I threw that money into buying an $800 harmonium. I don't know if you know what a harmonium is. It's a bellows operated uh, sort of air organ, like a reed organ with a bellows on the back. And they use it in Indian classical music quite a bit. Anyway, so I've been transcribing astrological charts into music, you know, um, I wish I could convey how exciting that is for me to, I hope you can hear it in my voice. I've been taking astrological data and I've been transposing or transcribing that into musical um, notation and improvisation and based on certain geometrical um, and also symbolic and numerological significances. And, and correspondences. So that to me is where I've been most excited about heading. Uh, and it is a direct, it is, it is a uh, direct sort of, it's directly influenced by my Masonic work because if it weren't for my, my Masonic work, I wouldn't have had this interest in uh, the philosophy behind music and behind astrology and the geometry behind it and the arithmetic behind it and the natural sort of science behind it and philosophy, the natural philosophy behind it. So it's really blossomed in my life and it's totally changed the course of my life. Now, like my wife and I, we wake up in the morning, it's still dark out, you know, and we're taking our bike ride and I see uh, Venus rising occidentally before the sun. I see Mars is still in the Western sky. Um, it, he's retrograde in Aries right now. And I see this stuff through direct observation because you could see it here in Arizona. You could see it a hundred and something degrees of the, the ecliptic at one stretch you know so uh anyway I, i've got this cosmic feeling you know and it's really like um now i'm gonna get weird like you were talking about that one weird guy with the oak island stuff now now i'm now i'm turning into the weird guy talking about cosmic astrological stuff and how that how that feels as a microcosm on the earth and how hermetic that relationship is and uh, and let me finish that up by why I would use the word hermetic there. I believe that there's a hermetic sort of, there's a central hermetic tenet that's repeated in Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is, uh, that's made evident, let's say by the globes atop the pillars, right? Mm -hmm. You have a terrestrial globe and you have a celestial globe. One is the microcosm. The other is the macrocosm. And between those two, uh, I forget how it goes in ritual, but between those two, anybody can work out any problem and the means to solve it. Or some, I'm paraphrasing badly, but um, there's also the idea of the hermeticism of Freemasonry. If you think about it like this, both astrology and astronomy measure and chronicle the movements of celestial bodies, but astrology has the accompanying hermetic belief that those movements affect life on Earth, the, the, the microcosm, man. In alchemy, you have alchemy and, and chemistry, right? They both measure the transformation of substances, right? But alchemy has the accompanying hermetic belief 
that those operations that happen in the retort or the crucible or whatever uh, have an effect on the alchemist in the microcosm, right? So that's what differentiates alchemy from chemistry. It's the same thing that differentiates astrology from astronomy, and it's the same thing that differentiates operative masonry from speculative masonry because both operative and speculative masonry use the vernacular of the craft they use the working tools they use the um legends of the craft and the 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 outfits and the terminology and everything but speculative or accepted masonry like what we do comes with the accompanying hermetic belief that the application of these working tools and these legends and this allegory affect the microcosm, man, the individual Mason. Hello, brethren. Dutchy Duck is here again to give an update from my lodge, the Broken Claw number 377. Recently, we had an explosion of COVID-19 cases around our little secluded valley, and it was quickly decided that for September, we would hold our meeting via Zoom. Now, as many of you already know, we Pennsylvania Dutch aren't the biggest proponents of technology and newfangled things, but what else were we to do? Luckily, most of the brethren have internet. Can you believe it? As secretary, I sent out an email with all of the directions on how to log on to our Zoom call. Now for most of us, Zoom always meant to sound the wagon maid when someone slapped old Bessie on the behind and she took off through the field. I had to assure the members that this was a safe program and that the Chinese and that the Russians weren't listening in. The night of the meeting came and I logged on. Slowly but surely, the brethren started showing up and I admitted them onto the call. For the better part of the next 20 minutes, it was a mix of trying to help each brother either turn their microphone on, turn their camera off, help them to figure out the chat bar, and all while trying to maintain due decorum. It was a struggle to say the least. Finally, 30 minutes into the call, we were able to officially start the meeting. When our worshipful master called on our persimmon to tile the lodge, Brother Abraham Messerschmidt quickly turned his camera on. We were all surprised to see him in his Knights Templar uniform. Apparently he was all fahodled. He drew his sword and started to make the appropriate cuts to open a commandery of Knights Templar. In the act, his sword came down and cut his earphone cord in half. But good old brother Abraham kept right on going, not missing a beat, nor was he able to hear the snickers from the rest of the brethren. After that fiasco was over, we got down to business. The minutes of our last meeting were read and approved. Bills were placed on motion and voted to be paid. The worshipful master started to talk about his plans for the fall. And just as he began to discuss our way moving forward, Brother Herman Greischer's microphone became hot. And we all heard Mrs. Greischer giving him the third degree. Herman, what the hell are you doing? Are you looking at inappropriate videos on the internet again? Herman quickly yelled back, I halt I mund do all the coup. Now for those of you who don't understand Pennsylvania Dutch, he just said something to his wife that he shouldn't have said. Mrs. Greischer came over and really started reaming him on, followed by some wide swinging arm moves, if you know what I mean. I guess neither one of them knew that the 22 brethren were hearing their domestic dispute. Just as the argument really got heated, Brother Herman's microphone went silent and he disappeared from the call. We were all a little worried, but what could we do? Things settled back down and we proceeded with the meeting. It was eventually motioned on and approved to purchase Brother Abraham a new set of earphones and to send Brother Herman a get well soon card. The lodge closed in peace and harmony, digitally of course, at around 9 p.m. This story will make for some interesting minutes for the record book, that's for sure. Till next time, work hard, stay plumb, and on the lights when you leave the room. To learn more about the Pennsylvania Dutch language, culture, and history, please visit my website, padutch101.com, or my YouTube channel. Just search Doug Maiden for it.
And we're back with uh, with Jamie, and uh, we're going to wrap up a little bit here. But Jamie, just uh, you you touched on something that's really dear to me, and that is uh, the middle chamber lecture and how important it is. I know when I was raised, when I went through the degrees uh, in Pennsylvania here, we, we really have a very, very thin fellow craft degree. I've seen it in other jurisdictions. I've seen it in New Jersey and Maryland. Um, but... Uh, Tell us, uh, tell us really how how important that is. Just just restate that for a second, if you can. So yeah, I think it is the um, it is probably ninety percent of our curriculum. I can't think of anything else. What else are we really getting? Like like the fourth part of a circle, or you know the the point within a circle, or the application of the working tools. I mean, apart from those sort of little touchstones educationally um the things that we really have to work with to really bite off in terms of a curriculum in freemasonry are two things i think and that's the middle chamber lecture which is has to do with the seven liberal arts and sciences and of course the second half of the third degree which is a wealth of information but you know outside of our topic here um from a lot of different perspectives but um but back to the middle chamber or the fellowcraft lecture itself, um, that is, so that takes us from the porch up the winding staircase to the middle chamber where we receive the wages of a fellowcraft per right. the, per the ritual. Right. So if we don't travel up that winding staircase and do what's allotted to each each step and each course of that staircase, then um, how do, how can we expect to uh, collect our wages without having to, that work? You have to join the York right, and then and then you get them. So, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Pennsylvania, anyway. Right. So, Jamie, where can people go if they want to find your book? So you can find it on the best place to go is the laudablepursuit.com. I think it's just the laudablepursuit.com. That's the publisher. Um, that's uh, Jason Marshall and Matt Anthony, two incredible uh, Oklahoma Masons. And I think Matt's now in Oregon or Washington, but uh, really great Masons do a huge service. They're the ones who brought you PD Newman's alchemically stoned. Hopefully you've read, hopefully you've read that book. That was an incredible, incredible book. But uh, they they also brought you my two books, Myth, Magic, and Masonry, and Approaching the Middle Chamber. Uh, they are available on that website, and then that way Jeff Bessos doesn't need to take a bite. Um, but if you if you want, you could always just go straight on Amazon. We make it real easy. And both of my books are available on Amazon. Just either punch in my name or punch in the title of the books, and they should readily come up. Um, and again, like like we were talking about earlier, the one thing I'd I'd love to kind of hammer home is that the our education in American Freemasonry, from what I've seen in several jurisdictions, is pretty anemic on the coverage of the seven liberal arts and sciences. That's why I wrote this book because I felt like we needed one place where we could give the fellow craft something and say, okay, you need to meet proficiency. You need to memorize your catechism, uh, signs, grips, words, all that stuff. But you also need to learn about the seven liberal arts, you know, and instead of just, you know, sending them out in the world to figure that stuff out on the internet, which we know is a jungle of myths and disinformation. Um, you know, I felt like it would be a good idea to just have a, a, a good, tight, comprehensive book on the subject from a Freemason. And I hope that, I hope that people are able to use that in their curriculum and in their, you know, uh, proficiency at the Blue Lodge le level. Great stuff. In Masonic news today, as the great lumbering mass that is Freemason begins to stir from its darkened halls, truckloads of green beans and chicken fried steak have become rolling out of America's heartland 
toward Masonic social halls around the country. One Pennsylvania Mason reported that he had eaten more meals at home in the last four months than in the entire 37 years of his marriage. His wife was heard to say, Thank God he has a meeting to go to. I can finally watch Jeopardy without him shouting out the answer. <laughs> Slowly but surely, brothers, the lights are coming on. That's the Masonic news. So mooted what? <laughs> so, Tim, are you ready to fill us in on your special announcement? Absolutely. Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of our episode, um, we all spent some time uh, at the Harrisburg Cigar Smoker and um, Cigar Lodge and Pig Roast. Uh, while we were there, uh, Jack uh, went and met with um, one of the vendors who you've heard me talk a lot about on this show. And to make a long story short, tonight we are pleased to announce that uh, we are we are we are naming an official cigar of the Masonic Light podcast, and that official cigar is Hiram and Solomon Cigars. Um, Ta-da! They, they uh, 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 Foud and his wife Romy were there. Uh, we all had great interactions with them. Uh, they have a great. Uh, and broad uh, selection of cigars from the Entered Apprentice, the Fellow Craft, Master Mason, uh, the Traveling Man, the Shriner, uh, and the uh, Grand Architect, and the granddaddy of them all, the, the Veiled, Veiled Prophet. Prophet. There it is. The Veiled Prophet. <laughs> um, so you're going to hear a lot more from them uh, coming uh, up on future episodes. But when you think about cigars, uh, the official cigar of the Masonic Light podcast are the Hiram and Solomon cigars. You can find out more online at HiramandSolomonCigars.com. And, and actually, I learned this just tonight. There are three retailers in central Pennsylvania now. What? Uh, sadly, not the one we had all hoped would be. Oh, there's so much licensing you have to do, man. I, you, yeah, yeah, I know. But uh, anyway, yeah. there's two in the Harrisburg area and actually one in Elizabethtown. But I'll let you find those online. Um, but we could, we need to up the pressure on our good friend uh, in Lancaster to uh, start carrying these puppies because they are good stuff. Very cool. And what have you got coming up the next couple of weeks? So... Um, you know, as, as Jack said, it's, it's really hit the ground running here. Actually, as we're recording this tonight, I'm missing Lovell, which is an outdoor degree uh, put on by the uh, 3rd Masonic District. They're doing two first degrees tonight. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So what a beautiful uh, night for it. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, we're gearing up for uh, our next stated meeting, which is October the 5th. Um, we're going to be spreading across two nights, uh, doing, um, a entered apprentice degree and two master masons degrees. Uh, the restriction on third degrees are being removed effective October 1st by the grand master. Are they? They are. Yes, they are. Oh, fantastic. Um, okay. So, uh, we're back in business doing third degrees again. Uh, we have a blood drive coming up on the 8th in Mechanicsburg. If you're in the area, go to our website, uh, get signed up for that. And then on Friday, October the 9th, um, I'm back at the Valley of Harrisburg Scottish Rite for their um, stated meetings, and I'll be at the Lodge of uh, Perfection for that. So that's what I've got coming up the next few weeks. It's due season for all you secretaries out there. Uh, so... Uh, Everybody pay your dues. Pay your damn dues. <laughs> Josh, so what do you got going on over at Lamberton Lodge? Uh, not not too much. The same thing as, as usual, getting ready for the next meeting. Um, we're going to be meeting at Millersville, so I got a little, little bit of coordinating to do with them. But uh, we got a dispensation for that uh, since the Masonic Center is still under renovation. Um, and other than that, I don't think anything else. Can I, inter can I interject something, Josh? No. 
I, no, I'm done anyway. <laughs> I, I was the guinea pig uh, for our secretary to do our first actual paying dues online through the Grand Lodge. So I actually paid my dues two weeks ago. Oh, How did that you, work, Larry? It worked easily and fine. It was superb. You but guys are fine. He That's paid in pesos, awesome. though. We can pay our we can pay our dues online. It is just wonderful. That's great. So thanks, Tim. Yeah, your secretary is going to love that. Everybody in your everybody in Lamberton Lodge, pay your dues online. Absolutely. Jamie, do you have anything coming up you want to plug? Wait, sorry, sorry, I muted myself. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't think I have anything uh, Masonic coming up. I mean, nothing until uh, our members meeting in the beginning of the uh, beginning of October there. Jack, what do you got? Well, tomorrow I have an investigation committee, so that's fun. Haven't done one of those in a long time. Will that also uh, be known as a committee of inquiry? Committee of inquiry, yeah, that's okay. true. And we can call it that. Um, and then, <laughs> and then uh, we have two firsts followed by another first and a second. And I just found out we could have a third if we really tried. So we got we got some guys in the pipeline that have been waiting patiently, and uh, so yeah, it's a it, it's it's a busy time. I, I I think we're gonna come out of this okay. Larry, wake up! It's time for the chickens. All right, time to go home. Special thanks to Everett Lodge Six Sixty Five for. Helping make uh, the broadcast available, although we're not there yet. Hopefully soon. Thanks to uh, Josh Lamberton, our producer director, who continues to make the show great. Thanks to Jack Harley and Walter Gronkite, our news director and talent. Tim Dedman, our marketing director. Our Masonic Light contributors, Michelle Snyder, Jim Stevens, and Doug Maddenford. Joke from England, but you know what? I don't feel like it. My son is gonna say thanks for listening. See you on the other side. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Thank you.